Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why does making friends as an adult feel so What hard? should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a foreign But that Why hookup was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want, want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Every Girl Podcast. It's your host, Josie, and I'm here as usual with our lovely podcast assistant, Emma, and a very special guest today. We have our editor-in-chief of the Every Girl, Allison Trammell, joining us. Allison, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to be back. So this week, Emma came to me with the Ask the Every Girl question because you guys out there know that I can give advice about wellness and relationships and mental health all day long. But when it comes to career and finance topics, I also need advice too. So what Emma asked me if I wanted to do this question that we're going to go into today, immediately, yes, it's such a great question. But I also wanted to have someone who has always provided me with great career advice and insight. So I asked Allison to come on and share her tips as well. So Emma, Take it away, Emma. What is this week's Ask the Evergirl question? Yes, the question is, my year-end review is coming up. Any tips on asking for a raise? It's juicy. It is. It's such a card conversation to have, so I'm happy to shed light. So my first tip would be to really assess your mindset. What are you hoping to get out of this conversation. If it's truly just an increase to your salary and you want to keep working at this company, then that is great. However, I have personally made the mistake in the past where I put off too long asking for a raise and I am like frustrated, overworked, burnt out. And I'm going into this conversation with a lot on my shoulders. Like, if you don't give me this raise, I am leaving. By the way, that conversation went terribly. So now having like many years afterwards to look back on that, I'm like, that is such a mistake. You never want to go into the asking for a raise conversation if that's where your headspace is at. If your headspace is already in that place where you are well past, like you've been putting off the conversation, you're frustrated, you're burnt out, I would advise you to go ahead and just start applying for other jobs. Because if you truly feel that if you don't get this raise in this conversation, you're going to leave. You need to take some of your power back in the conversation to know that you have other options and not be so emotionally driven to give you a little bit of clarity because this really is like a negotiation slash sales pitch when you think about it. The other way feels much more like a breakup. Like if you don't change this, I'm going to do this. And it's just so emotionally charged. So the ultimatum. you're already there. Yeah, you're giving them an ultimatum. And it can't work out well. If you're already at the ultimatum stage, you probably just need to move on. So I would say go ahead, 
clean up your LinkedIn, start applying, send out those messages. Even if you don't get any interviews or nothing comes from it, at least you will feel like you have more power in the situation and you'll be like thinking about your other options and it's not just all on them. When you go into it being like, if you don't give me this, I'm leaving, you put all the power in their hands and you never want to go into a negotiation like that and you don't want to go into a negotiation emotionally charged. So that's a personal mistake I've made that I would say, really assess your mindset. What do you want to get out of this? Look at the emotional factors and try to neutralize those as much as possible. I love that it's like thinking about the bigger picture because I think so often people think of a raise or promotion request as like yes or no questions and then you negotiate, right? But I've always thought it like should be more of a conversation and you should have more insight on like why. Like why are you asking for that number? We all want more money, obviously. Like anyone wants more money. But like why? Like thinking about what you really want, the amount of money that would actually make you feel fulfilled. Not just like have you not gotten a raise in a year and you should be getting raises, but what would actually make you feel like you're being adequately taken care of, that you're valued by your company. So I've always thought it should just be more of a conversation, like instead of, I believe I deserve a 10% raise because X, Y, Z, and then they'll either say, okay, here's 10% raise, or we can do 5% raise, or no, sorry, not this year. It's like a yes or no question. Ask your manager, at this stage of my career, for X reasons, I would like to be at 100K by next year. What can I do? And it's more of like the long-term plan. And then your manager can be like, you know, maybe it's signing more clients. Maybe it's taking a business course to make you more valuable to the company. Maybe it's working towards managing another employee. Then your manager gets to tell you the roadmap of how to get where you want to be. And you are able to know how you can be more valuable to the company. You know, it's like more like a long-term conversation. I think people are like focused on, oh my gosh, my end of year raise is coming up. I should be asking for a review rather than it's like the big picture of your career. Right. I used to be so focused on me, me, me when I went into these conversations. Like, this is what I want. This is what I have done. And really now being a little more removed from it, if your manager or your boss is a good person, which I hope they are, they want to give you more money. There are other factors at play. I would love to give everyone like 30% raises (laughs) at the end of the year, but there are dollars and people above me and all of these things that dictate that. So likely that's any sort of scenario. And I think that's why I now view it more as a negotiation. So like, what do you want? Is it a dollar? Would you be willing to negotiate with like more flexibility, more PTO, being able to leave at a certain time? All of these things that they may be able to make happen for you if they can't make the dollar amount happen. And you need that clarity. What do I want and what am I willing to like discuss with them? Yeah, that's such good advice. You also have to think about the other side, which is the business, the manager who I already established, like if they're a good person, they want to give you an increase no matter what. So you have to really think about what is going on in the economy because that will affect it too. A lot of conversations I have People are focused on inflation, like you should increase it because of inflation. On the other side of that, it's not fun, but you have to think like the business is also going through inflation. So inflation is not always the best argument when you're discussing it, especially with a small business. With a major corporation, 
have no experience. I don't know what they're going through. But for a small business, I can tell you inflation impacts us the same way. So then it's like, what's going on in the economy? Is the business doing really well? Are you seeing a lot of sales happen? Because that temperature check is going to affect the amount that you ask for and the amount that you're able to get. So you want to be aware of any outside factors that are going on. Are there a lot of layoffs? Are you looking at a hard 2024? And if so, you might want to come in a little more on the realistic side. I never want to say like, shoot lower because it's always easy to negotiate down. You can't go in at 3% and then be like, surprise, 6%. It's just about figuring out what is happening in the world that's going on that might affect this negotiation. That's so huge because you really don't hear that advice a lot. Like when I hear people talk about raises, people go with the advice of like, think of yourself. Like we had some experts on before that were like, it's not your problem if the company is not doing well. And I, I mean, you need to be thinking of yourself. But from a manager perspective, if someone came to you and was like, I understand this is where the business is, that this is where the economy is. Like a word we talked about with career contests a couple weeks ago was upward empathy. No one talks about that. Like you're always thinking of like, what can the boss, what can the manager, what can the company do for you? But what are they going through? What is your boss going through? What is the company going through? And then applying that to how you can live your best life in the company. You know, I think that's advice that people don't get, but it's so important. Right. Listen, I'm employee first. Like you have to protect yourself first. No one else is ever going to stand up for you the way that you do. But we're talking negotiation. We're talking hard communication. So if I want to get what I want, I got to figure out how do I massage this situation? And like you said, someone is so much more willing to work with you if you come in and you're like, I know this is happening. I know this. So if it gets you to what you really want, let's bring those factors in so that you can be as prepared as possible. I'm such a big believer that when other people, even in business, feel like you empathize with them, they want to give you more of what you want. I just think that that's a fact of life. Yeah, I think those tactics and coming at it from such a grounded, level-headed way, take out the emotion, take out the frustration, practice with your mom, your friend, your roommate, get all the tears out before you go in. Go in as logical, level-headed, and like you said, upward empathy. I feel like they're going to be more willing to work with you. Like, oh, I thought I could only do this, but she just makes such a great case. Let me go back and see what I can do. Because you are selling yourself. You're a salesperson. So you got to massage your audience. Work the crowd. Know the room. <laughs> Work the crowd. So my next step, and this one I'm super terrible at, I've been working <laughs> on getting better at it. So hopefully other people are too. I try to keep track of my accomplishments throughout the year. So anytime there's a big project or a big moment where someone congratulates me or I get some sort of great positive feedback, I make sure to write it down and I write down any details that I can think of. I'm the type of person where I'm like going, 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 going. So we solve one major issue and I just move on to the next thing. So December rolls around and I'm like, what did I do this year? I don't know. I just know that I showed up a lot and I gave it my all, but I could not tell you. And so by keeping track of it, I just keep a little Word doc or a note on my phone or something and I jot things down in the minute. I go back and revisit them and I'm like, yes, I did do that. And I'm talking like really tangible things. Like 
I led a team of 15 on this massive project and it garnered this many sales or this many views or whatever tangible metrics that you have. So keep track of it. You can go back through emails or I've gone back through calendars, like my work calendar and been like, oh, yes, I forgot that this happened. Go back through Slack messages if you haven't kept track of it this year. But moving forward, try to keep track of it. When you go to check your quarterly goals, jot down your notes, make an appointment with yourself to do that moving forward. If you haven't, it's time to start combing through those emails and Slack messages. That is the hardest part. I always forget that every year. I'm like, literally, what did I do? I feel like every review, I'm like, I have all these ideas for next year. And like, oh, yeah, last year, I guess I like launched the podcast. You know, it's so hard to remember. Here's that. the thing. Being on the other side of this, your boss or your manager does not want to lose you. It is so hard to find someone new, to train someone new, to get them up to date. It is the biggest, heaviest part on a business. So you have negotiating power. So you have to remember that because I know that it's very scary having this conversation. So remember that you have power and go at it logically and bring in your receipts. <laughs> this is a housewives reunion. I want to see your <laughs> binder. I want to see your presentation. The most compelling conversations I've had where people have like, asked for raises and I've left being like, damn, I'm an idiot if I don't give that to them are the ones where they're pulling out notes, they're pulling out graphs. And I'm just like, whoa. So any tangible receipts, presentation, anything that you can bring in to show, it just really increases your sales pitch. I'm sorry, a graph? People are out here oh. pulling graphs while I'm like, la la la. <laughs> it's been a great year. Yeah. I had someone pull out an entire presentation with graphs. Their significant other worked in data. And so they had helped them create this whole presentation for me. And first of all, it was amazing. After we finished, I gave her the raise that she wanted. And then the feedback that I gave her was that in the presentation, she kept telling me, oh, my significant other helped me with this. He showed me this. He did this. And I was like, hey, that was super compelling. And I loved it. My piece of feedback for you moving forward, do not tell me anyone helped you with this. And I think that was like a coping mechanism because it's so scary to talk yourself up and to say like, these are the numbers and whatever. I was like, first of all, I'm so impressed for the future. If you ever do this again with me or with anyone else, you came up with these numbers. You came up with these graphs. Don't mention anyone else because you're uncomfortable this is all you. I mean, even for people who don't have their boyfriends working data, making graphs for them, but like <laughs> even women in work in general, I feel like we're more likely to say words like thanks to my amazing team or our team had such a great year and like using language because it feels uncomfortable to brag about yourself. And like we are told so much in our childhood, don't brag about yourself, like, be more selfless. So then when we have to say, I did amazing. I crushed it. I did all these amazing things this year. It feels really uncomfortable. So I think it is kind of a coping mechanism to almost like self-deprecate. And that shows up in work where we're like, our amazing team did this. Or like, thanks to the help of this person. Or even just saying, I think I did great instead of saying, I did great. And maybe it's like getting comfortable with being able to talk about your work and what you've accomplished without complimenting other people or putting yourself down and like being aware of where you might be not promoting yourself as much as you deserve. That's why in my mind, I think of it as a sales pitch, almost like 
something that separates it from you because I'm someone who very much is always like, my team is amazing. Listen, it's you and your boss. It's a one-on-one conversation. If you gas yourself up and you go in there saying, my team could not have done this without me because I trained them. I followed up with them. All of this is true. The two things can be true at the same time. Your team can be amazing and you can too. But I think as women, it's so hard for us to acknowledge that both of those things can be true. So just remember, it's one-on-one. It's only two people in this room. This isn't going to be blasted to everyone. Separate yourself from it. Think of it like a sales pitch. If this was your best friend and you were doing a PowerPoint presentation on her, what would you say? All the amazing things and then turn it on you. You are the product that you're selling. And these are all of the reasons why they are lucky to have you. The numbers thing that you brought up is such an important thing, too, for me, at least being really early in my career and being, you know, fairly qualitative career and very quality oriented. I remember someone my senior year of college telling me to put numbers in my resume. And I was like, what? Never thought of that in my life. (laughs) But it's actually so important and so valuable. And it can be hard to see yourself as a product that you're trying to sell without the numbers there. So I think it can help in both the internal negotiations and also in pitching yourself if you are looking for other jobs. Yeah, some people have come to me and maybe their positions didn't have that like data or sales driven metrics tied to it. So they couldn't tell me I created this much revenue and I'm set to create this much more revenue. But they'll come to me and say things like I published or I wrote over 200 stories this year. I was not late on a single deadline for any of those 200 stories. And I'm like, wow. So there are numbers somewhere. You just have to figure out what they are. And I'm sure they're very impressive. And your boss is going to be like, shit, I didn't even realize because you're just going through everything every day. And it's like on to the next project, on to the next thing. That's why I, I think no matter what your position, you can come up with those numbers. Allison, I have a question for you. When we had on Jennifer Justice a few months ago, she is a big believer that every woman should be asking for like 20 to 30 percent in every single review meeting like they should always be asking for a raise. And that like kind of blew my mind a little bit. And I'm like, oh, oh, no. Do you feel like everyone should be asking for a raise? Like when should you be asking for a raise? Are you not a good woman if you don't ask for a raise every single review? Reviews are always a great time to ask for raises because that time is carved out and they know it's coming. They've expected it, anticipated it, run the numbers. So you're not sneak attacking them. It's an easy place to have that conversation. The harder places to have it are when it's like you see your workload amping up, you're taking on more responsibility, and you're starting to feel like your position has leveled up past sort of what's in your job description, what your standard day-to-day is. And it's not a busy season. It's not a busy period. It's not a, this is just ramping up for this one month, this project, and then it'll go back to normal. It's like ramping up in a way that is now your new job, but there has been no formal discussion. I would say when you see that happening, you need to have a one-on-one with your manager because maybe it's not a raise. Maybe it's like, oh man, you're right. And I didn't realize it. We need to bring in more people. I have personally been 
very bad about just weathering the storm. And then I get to a point where I'm burnt out, I'm frustrated, and then I go to have that conversation. First of all, I'm leaving money on the table because three months have gone by and they're not going to backdate me for that. I mean, they might if they're super kind, but like for the most part, they don't usually backdate it. So then I've left money on the table and then I'm going into this negotiation not in a great place for your mental health. It'll be so much better if you just have a meeting with your manager, open line of communication like, hey, this seems like it's going above what is in my role. I'm so happy to help. However, I think this X, Y, and Z. And that's when you start the conversation. And like I said, it either leads to a raise and then great, or it leads to more people being added to your team and you hopefully not ending up in a place of being burnt out. So that is sort of the other place that I would start to discuss raises other than end of year discussions. Yeah, to kind of like get out of the routine of review equals asking for a raise because it should just be more about when do you feel like you need it? On the flip side of it, my first review after graduating college, working at a big girl job, also at the Every Girl, I was asking my dad, like, okay, dad, I'm supposed to ask for a raise. My review's coming up. Like, what should I do? And my dad is the best career advice. He's been very successful from a screw salesman. Like, I just see him as such, like, the most valuable person. So I thought he was going to be like, come in hot, have the numbers. Like I thought he was going to like give me all this advice on how to ask for a raise. And he was like, why are you supposed to ask for a raise? And I was like, well, that's what everyone says is that you should be asking for more money. And he told me kind of the opposite, which I'm not saying this is the right advice for everybody. But what he had told me then was you should feel like your company wants the best for you. Go into reviews expecting your company is already thinking about how can we value you? How can we compensate you? How can we make you feel like you're growing? And then if you don't already feel like your company has your back, you should probably be looking to go to a new company. I know this is so different like company to company, and it's different for our parents' generation, and it's very different for men. Like there's a very real gender pay gap where women do need to speak up and ask for more, especially in male-dominated industries. So I'm not saying this advice applies for everybody, but that advice helped me because it made me feel like, oh, I'm not going into awkward conversations like me versus my boss or me versus my company. I got to be super tough and strong and like, here's my bottom line. Like it, it made me think it, it's important to be at a place that you feel adequately valued. When it comes to raises, I feel like people are not giving that advice. It's very much of like the, you have to fight for yourself, which again, true. But I think there's something to be said about working somewhere where you feel valued and you don't feel like you have to fight to get what you want. I agree. I think everything your dad said is incredibly valid and it is something that you have to take a step back and look at. What is this company that I'm investing so much of my time and energy into and are they valuing me? And if you're worried they're not, I would say first step is open communication with your manager. Just like in a relationship, are you communicating your needs and wants and your goals with them or are you waiting for them to come to you? Because likely they're very busy and they're doing all of these things and they may not. If you're open communicating and they're still not valuing you, red flags. These are when the red flags start popping up and you start refreshing your LinkedIn and you start looking for something that might be a better fit. I feel so lucky because I work at a company that's all women and we really value everyone that works here. And so when I think about these conversations, a lot of my advice is geared towards that. However, that is not the case for everyone in every industry. So it really does depend on who you're working with and 
what the environment is like, what the company is like. And you're right. Those are red flags that may mean that it's time to move on to somewhere else. Yeah. Everyone's going to be like, you just set women 10 years back, but I have never asked for a raise. And that is on me. I should be better about this. Everyone's going to come for me and be like, you are the problem. But I do feel so lucky that I feel like I've been valued and I have never had to ask for a raise, but I've been given promotions and raises and and I have just felt valued. And to me, that's really important to feel that. This could be a whole other separate conversation, but I'm only going to throw this out. In 2023, we get more control over our lives than we ever have before. So I started my own side business. For me, that was important to have my own thing because I was like, I never want this. Maybe it's going to be weird and be very bad advice, but I felt like I never wanted to feel like I need to depend on my job for my only source of income, which sounds so weird, but I always wanted to feel like I'm here because I love this work. I never want to be at a place where I feel like I have to leave because there is more money in a different industry. I I always wanted to feel like I can care about my job and not have any issue with it around money. Again, I don't know if that's good advice, but I just am throwing that out there because I think there's many ways where you could feel fulfilled in your financial life. And I think we can all get creative about designing the life that we want to live and not depending on just our employer to do that. I agree. I freelanced for like the first 10 or 12 years of my career. Part of it was always like, I'm learning new skills and learning new things from just working with other people that I'm becoming more valuable just from those different experiences. And I'm also not having to hop around jobs. But then also, obviously, the financial safety, like if anything ever went wrong and the Internet stopped existing tomorrow, I would have some things to fall back on. And that felt very safe. And then in addition, it was like the financial aspect helped me beat down my student loans and all of these other things. Now I cannot freelance because I have a baby that takes up every (laughs) spare second of all of my time. But I agree, Josie. So, yes, if you're able to do that. I think it's helpful. It also, again, helps shift the power because you're not so dependent on one thing. It's like, oh, I have other options. I have other things. And anytime you have more power, it's easy to go into these negotiations. Like you said earlier, if you want more money, but they can't give you more money instead of being like, oh, well, I'm I'm not in control of my own life to look at it like, OK, totally understand. Can I get more flexibility? Can I get different benefits like other ways that they can help? then you can, if you have the time, I know a lot of people don't, but there are other ways to make income. There's other ways to cut back so that you feel like you're doing more. You know, like there's just so many ways that we get to design our own life. Like we get more control than I think a lot of people realize and a lot more power over our own lives. So always being in that position of feeling like you are in charge of your own life. I agree. And if they say no, if they're starting to shoot down your numbers, your ideas, then you say, okay, what would be more realistic for you? What can you do? Where can we meet in the middle? Like put it back on them to determine the solution. If it's, I want to work from home. And then they're like, we can't be like, okay, I'd like to work Mondays and Fridays. Is there any way we can make a hybrid work schedule? Keep the conversation going. Scream into your pillow, get frustrated, (laughs) do all of these things away from them, not in the room. So when you're in the room, it's very much about like putting it back on them. What is possible? When could we revisit this? Or what can I do to in a year from now reach this amount of money? And then they get to tell you this is how you provide more value to get that monetary value that you're looking for. Exactly. 
Wow. I feel inspired. Swapping existing is like, that's like my daily intrusive thoughts. I think about that all the time. I'm like, if the internet stops tomorrow, we are all fucked. Yeah. (laughs) This was so inspiring. Thank you so much, Allison, for joining us. This was so fun. You had such great advice. Happy to invite me back soon. Let's dive into our episode today. You probably know our guest as the wildly successful founder of companies such as Squeeze, Canopy, and the brand that, if you're like me, you know them, you love them, and you frequent them, Drybar. Allie has been named the 100 most creative people in business by Fast Company, featured on Fortune Magazine's 40 Under 40 list, and Marie Claire's Most Fascinating Women. Allie appeared on Shark Tank as a guest shark and became a New York Times bestselling author all before she turned 40. But this conversation is not just about her career success, although she does give a lot of great tips for that too, especially how she built Drybar without a college degree or any formal business training. But I talk with Allie about how, as she describes, she almost lost herself. It wasn't until her marriage fell apart, her 16-year-old son entered rehab, and she no longer found meaning in the wildly successful business she had built that Allie realized she was spiraling into a deep depression. She'd lost sight of what made her happy in favor of an aimless push to succeed and keep up a perfect image. So in our conversation today, Allie is sharing relationship advice that she wishes she knew, how she got through the darkest time of her life, why no one's life is as perfect as it seems, and how she accepted her messy truth to reinvent and rebuild both her personal and professional life. Allie is so vulnerable in this conversation. It's so raw and impactful. I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. Please welcome Allie Webb to the Every Girl podcast. I want to start at the beginning. Take me back to when you were in your early 20s. What was your life like and what did you do for a living and what did you want to do for a living? My early 20s, I moved to New York City. I think when I was 18, actually. I didn't go to college and I kind of think of living in New York. I always felt like it was like my college. The work experience became my education, really. And then I moved back to South Florida where I grew up and went to beauty school. My brother and I, you know, my brother is my partner in Drybar. We had opened a couple of Nicole Miller boutiques in South Florida, which did not work out super well. That's what led me to decide to go to beauty school. And then I moved back to New York City again doing hair this time. And I would end up doing a bunch of other jobs. Like I worked in PR for a while and I was just kind of trying on different things. And that's when I met my first husband, Cameron, the creative mastermind of Drybar. And we got married to LA, had some kids. And yeah, that's a brief overview of where I started. It's so cool to hear how many different things that there were. And I think that's so important for especially women to hear because I think we so often get into the trap of like, this isn't the right job or this isn't the right path. We have to figure it out right here, right now, instead of knowing there's a long process that we have many times to fail. We have many times to fuck up. We have many times to have one job not work out and go to a new one. So I love that it took many tries to get the success for you. It's probably like the most important lesson, which I know it's hard to see when you're in it. It was obviously hard for me, but I think there is this societal pressure and pressure from our parents and friends and everybody to know what we want to do with our lives. And the idea of like knowing what you want to do with your life when you're like fucking 20 is like crazy. It's going to change and that's cool. I really feel like I always had a sense of it'll all work out and I should just keep going where it feels good. 
which is really how I had lived my life. Obviously, it was a lot lighter back then. And when I thought I wanted to work in fashion, I thought I wanted to be a stylist. So I went to work at the Nicole Miller Cynthia Raleigh showroom and then that didn't work. And then I was having lunch with a friend who worked at Rogers and Cowan and she said, I think there's an opening in the music department. And I was like, I like music. And it was like Paul McCartney and Faith Hill and Jennifer Lopez. And just to be in that orbit of those amazing artists, I had no idea what the job was. I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never sat in front of a computer. I'd never sat in an office, but I don't care about any of that. I'm going to just go in and see what happens here. And I think it was like, the confidence of not being afraid to step into something that I didn't know necessarily and just seeking the excitement. That was really what led me versus this like, okay, I have to go do this and I have to go do this. I really let what felt right to me be the guide. I mean, it was such a weird random job, especially when I had already gone to beauty school. I thought I wanted to work in fashion and now like I'm going to work in PR. Like it didn't make sense technically. But like, what a great experience that was. All of it was a learning experience. And I always tell young students, especially when you can and you have potentially the support of your parents or whatever, you can go try and experiment. Like, what a gift to be able to do. And, and, and it'll serve you so well. I think everything I did perfectly led me up to Drybar and what ultimately would become my biggest success. That's what I was going to ask you was how you found confidence, like the confidence of being able to go through all these different jobs, knowing there's something else out there for me. That's a good question. I do think that it's probably my, it's going to sound so cheesy, but like zest for life. I love being like excited about things. Even like today, I was talking to somebody about how I just kind of take the leap of faith and then figure out all the other stuff after. And my friend said, oh my God, I'm so opposite. Everything is premeditated. Everything is thought through. And I was like, yeah, no, I've never been that person who's like, wait, let me think this through. I've always just been reactionary, which again, has gotten me in trouble a lot <laughs> in my life. But I think it mostly is that I'm a seeker, you know, and I'm always like seeking greatness and seeking excitement and seeking love and fun. And however, whatever portal I need to go down to find that I'm going. Yeah, I think that's a skill. Who wouldn't want to seek out what seems exciting to them, what seems fun. But I actually don't think that's how most people live their life. I think that they prioritize maybe stability. They prioritize the next step. They prioritize other things over that feeling of I'm excited, like the zest for life. You want to wake up excited. You want to have the next opportunity that you look forward to, that you're excited to be in the room with those people. That's an excitement for life. Maybe it's what people want, but they prioritize other things over it. So for you to say, I've become this hugely successful entrepreneur many times over through that as a dominant trait that I just am seeking out what is exciting to me and wanting that zest for life, I think is a gift that people don't talk about, that a lot of entrepreneurs wouldn't share that advice. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it seems like irresponsible or flippant, but it's just what's really true for me. I actually think the opposite. I think that it, it would be irresponsible to say, ignore your passions, ignore your zest for life and do the staple thing because then you're suppressing your joy for what? For what reason? Yeah. So I actually think that's amazing business advice. So how did Drybar become this huge overnight success? Like what do you attribute to the success of this amazing company? It's so many things and and let that be a lesson in and of itself. It's never one thing. With Drybar, it was a great idea and we were able to execute pretty well based on the life experience that we collectively had. My brother, Michael, 
was really the business side of things. And he'd run a handful of businesses. He knew business in a way that like I certainly didn't. And Cam, my ex-husband, who's the creative mastermind behind Drybar, and we, we all brought such incredible skill sets to the table. Mine was obviously hair because I had spent so much of my life in that world. Our parents had a clothing store in South Florida. So we watched my parents operate that and had that like customer service really ingrained in our heads. And just the fact that the three of us had such different skill sets was such an important thing going into it. And we used to joke around that we were definitely so uniquely qualified and we never could have afforded us because we were this like ragtag team of people who really knew what, what we were doing in our collective areas. We all added so much to it. And without any one of us, it wouldn't have been what it is. Him really understood the branding in a, in a way I didn't. I learned all about branding from him. I didn't know anything about branding before Dry Bar, but I learned so much from him. And my brother was the business side of things and marketing too. And, and I knew hair and I knew how to run a salon. And so it was like all those things coming together. I was just in a conversation with John Hefner, who was our former CEO of Drybar. John's now the CEO of Summer Fridays, which I'm sure you know, which is Mariana Hewitt, Lord Ireland's brand. We were just talking about like how much success they've had. And I was like, yeah, they bought all the boxes checked. Like it's a really good product. The branding's really great. Mariana and Lauren really help because of who they are in the world. Like, there are a lot of things, and not to say that you have to have all of those things, but there's got to be a point of difference. There's got to be great branding. There's got to be something special in and, and people who know how to run it. There's just so many things that go into it that it's hard to answer your question of what made Drybar so successful. It was like a million little and big decisions. And if it were a simple answer, then every business would be Drybar. But I think that that's actually a really good takeaway is that between the three of you, your brother, your ex-husband, and you, you each had really great skills. I think that a lot of people put pressure on themselves of they need to be qualified in multiple different areas in order to do something. You know, if someone's thinking, I want to start a business, well, I have to be good at what I'm going to sell, but also the business side of it, and then also the branding side, and I have to be good in all these things. But you're saying what made it work, part of the magic, was that each of you had your niche that you were really concentrated and great in, and then you can grow in the, the areas, but you don't need to be the best at every single factor in order to launch the business, you can find people to fill those holes. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's such a good lesson for partnership too. I think a lot of partnerships don't work because two founders or three founders or whatever it is, they come in with very similar skill sets. And then it just becomes like five-year-olds playing soccer. Everyone's trying to kick the ball. It just doesn't work. So it's an important lesson to consider if you're considering a partner, which I'm all for. I have no regrets. And I, I really loved us all working together. It was so fun. A lot of people talk about how it's hard to be a woman in business, and it is. I mean, we experience discrimination. There's a, a very real pay gap. But I'm curious if you find any benefit to being a woman. Like, is there any way that being a woman actually helps you in business? Well, I don't know if I agree with you about it being hard to be a woman in business. I know that there are certain factors that we're up against, and, and the pay gap is is fucking annoying. I know that there are a lot of shitty men out there. And I know that there's a lot of organizations that don't honor women at the same level as men. And, and for me, it's more about equality. My business partners are men. Like I know a lot of really amazing men. And I long for the equality of men and women, not because I'm a woman, I'm better than a man. It's just, I just might be better at what I do than a particular man or another woman. I don't know if it was because of the situations I put myself in or didn't put myself in. I've not run up against situations a lot anyways. I mean, there were certainly times where we were raising money 
And I found myself in a room full of men in suits and they were looking at me like I had five heads and they did not understand what a fucking blowout was. And they were like, (laughs) you don't seem to know what you're doing. And was like, yeah, you're okay next, you know? And so for me, I was like, I'm not even going to get involved in you. I've always been pretty discerning about the the people in general that I, I surround myself with. I've come across pretty like tough women in business too, who I was scared of. I don't know. It doesn't, the statement like it's hard to be a woman in business doesn't really resonate with me so much. It's just hard to be a woman. The famous scene in Barbie when she gives that speech about, and maybe I need to watch it again, so don't quote me on this, but I feel like it wasn't about like, oh, being a woman compared to a man. It was just like being a woman. That I find to be more trying and harder than being a woman in business. And then also might be the fact that like, most of my friends are female founders of businesses and, and you are the company you keep. And I, I surround myself with either really awesome, equal men or amazing, awesome women. I, I would never, ever stay in an environment where a man was treating me like he was better than me. I wouldn't do it. I'd get out of that situation quickly. I could see how it could have gone differently if we had taken an investment from a different company and a different group of men. Maybe I would have had more firsthand experience of that inequality. but. I've always tried to be pretty discerning about that. Yeah, you were careful about who you allowed in yeah. your space. You know, when you're talking to that guy and he's like mansplaining and he's so full of arrogance, run. Don't, don't, there's no reason to engage with that kind of, that kind of person, though. We come across women like that, too. Not mansplaining, but women who have that air about them, too. It's a human thing, not a gender thing. Yeah, for, for me anyways, yeah. No, I really love that perspective. The reason I ask is because a conversation that, obviously is going on a lot in culture is, you know, breaking the glass ceiling and the gender pay gap and all these things, which again, are very important that we could be talking about. But I also feel like there's a lot of superpower in being a woman. So I actually love the perspective that it wasn't a hard thing to be a woman in in business. For example, we had Kendra Scott on the podcast, and she gave me a really interesting perspective about how she views being a woman as her superpower for business. It's not something that's held her back. It's something that has helped her succeed because she has a certain set of skills that she attributes to being a, a woman. So I, I actually love the perspective you shared that it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to hold you back because you're a woman. Yeah. The more that women are advancing and becoming CEOs, that will obviously help the, the pay gap and all of that. It's also why I feel very, very strongly about supporting female entrepreneurs, like encouraging women to be out there in the marketplace. I love what you said about Kendra, like being a woman or just being a strong, smart person as a superpower. And like, yeah, you're going to end up as the CEO of this company and you're going to fix the pay gap. I feel strongly about supporting women so that there is that equality that eventually starts to be the norm in the workplace. Do you ever feel like if people call you a female founder, female entrepreneur, does that ever feel weird to you that you're like, I'm successful entrepreneur, period, or like I'm a successful person, period. It's not about being female or does it not rub you the wrong way? Well, that's a good question based on what I just said, but I like that I'm a woman. So for me, when I hear female founder, no, it doesn't resonate weird or bad to me, but I see your point. I want to dive into your new book titled The Messy Truth, How I Sold My Business for Millions But Almost Lost Myself. Great title, by the way. It seems incredibly raw and vulnerable. Why tell this story now? The book has been in progress for many years, um, which it's funny because of how many like twists and turns my life has taken in the writing of this book and how at the very end, it also took a massive turn, which I think is really indicative of the whole premise of like life's messy and you don't know what's around the corner. 
the initial impetus of the book was to really shine some light on the duality of the amazingness and awesomeness of having your own business and having success. But then the underbelly of all of that, like anybody's life, you can be experiencing something so great in one area in your life. And then this other area of your life, it's like a total mess. I I happened to experience a lot of the darkness and some really hard times while I was growing this amazing, massive business. I've wanted to help and give back what I've learned as I've grown this business because I really did learn it on the job. And I learned so much of it as I went. And I have felt really called to like give back as much as I can. I mean, so many people helped me and my brother along the way. So to put all of those stories and all of those memories and all of those building blocks just felt like like a, a good karmic thing to do. And then I had my marriage was falling apart and I had a son who was about to go into rehab. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about it today that the book says like how I almost lost myself. And I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have said almost because I did lose <laughs> myself. I found my way back. Thank God. Life can really punch you in the stomach and then you can learn from it and move on to the next mistake. One of my questions for you was literally, what does it mean to almost lose yourself? And what did that look like for you? And I I actually love that you use that wording because we have this idea that when we get the ideal career, the ideal relationship, everything in our life works out. Like everything comes into place at once when in reality, we're all dealing with mistakes here and there. We're dealing with hardships here and there. One part of our life may look shiny and pretty, but the other parts, not so much. And that's life. We're never going to get to that point where everything looks perfect. And I think it's so important to be talking about the hardships we have, the lessons we've learned, the mistakes we make, the things that don't work out like we thought, because we're constantly having to counteract this shiny highlight reel that is social media. Yeah. And it's almost like normalizing it. The high highs and low lows and a big life lesson has been being okay somewhere in the middle. And to talk about this stuff publicly, which, you know, that is an interesting thing too. This is probably my own insecurity, but I, I always go back to like, Nobody necessarily wants to know about my personal life. It's not like I'm Kim Kardashian and people really care what I'm doing. <laughs> but people do care about Dry Bar and how I built that brand. The only reason for me to talk about the personal side of it was just, to, again, to shine the light on the fact that you can't ignore what is going on behind the scenes, nor should you. And in fact, learning to embrace it. I don't know if this is happening to you, but for me, when I was going through my divorce and my son was in rehab and Anybody I talked to was like, how are you? I'd be like, well, not great. And I would tell them because I couldn't talk about anything else. It was like so top of mind for me. You're just like, I just don't care. And I think that level of transparency makes people feel really connected to you and vice versa. It's like when somebody opens up to me with whatever's going on in life, you're like, oh, wow. You know, it's like you feel like I want to be here for you. So I think that's where it all kind of shifted for me and feeling this kind of like, I want to tell my story and talk about the real stuff. Yeah, there's so many people that are at the point that you felt where you feel like a failure, something's not going well, you feel like you have almost lost yourself or have lost yourself. Hearing someone else's story makes people feel hopeful of, oh, they felt like they lost themselves. I'm currently losing myself. I can find myself again. Yeah, that's why when we read a book or listen to a song, anything that like really resonates with us, it resonates with us because somebody else understands and has gone through it. And you're like, oh, shit, you get it. And that in and of itself like, brings immediate comfort. There is a sense like, oh, this person has experienced that and they're OK. So I think I'm going to be OK. 
So many of our audience love relationship advice. They love to talk about relationships. They always have relationship questions. So I know hearing your experience with your divorce, I already know a lot of people listening are going to be wanting to know, were there signs that the relationship was not going to work out for you or was it completely out of nowhere? Oh, there's always signs. We just choose to ignore them. We always know. We just, we betray ourselves a lot. I added an afterword of the book because I'm going through a second divorce right now and I'm now kind of opening up a little bit about it without going into the detail. But yeah, there were so many signs that I now am like, geez, conversations that I didn't want to have, things that I think I, I knew but chose to ignore that we both did. So yes, it is so easy to ignore those signs. It is easy to betray ourselves and it can be really hard to get really swept up in something, but know on some level it's not right. It choose to ignore that. So it, if you see signs, in, at the very least, investigate them. I work with a really amazing coach and we talk about this a lot. There's often times where you're just not willing to have a conversation that you know is going to be a tough conversation because you have a feeling you know what the outcome is going to be if you engage in this tough conversation. So you avoid it. What's pretty fascinating on the flip side of that is like, yes, it might end up in the way you think it's going to end up and it's going to end the relationship or whatever. But it also might save the relationship because you get really fucking honest about what's going on. I think I missed that. I've heard from so many women that are like, looking back, I was more in love with the potential. I was more in love with the dynamic. I was more in love with like the idea of what our life was more than the actual person. Do you have any thoughts on, because this is another conversation we get asked about a lot that I feel like you'd have a lot of great advice on, that hard combination of not settling, listening to the signs, listening to yourself when your gut is telling you this isn't it, and also on the other end, having that like almost like relationship perfectionism where it's like, oh, just because this person's not perfect must mean they're not the one for me. You know, like it's always finding the balance of feeling gratitude and loving your people and not having perfectionism about them and, and putting too much pressure on it, but also listening to the signs. That is a very good question. I don't know that I've totally learned that yet. My experience in relationships has always been very like fast and furious, which is pretty indicative of who I am. In this season of my life, I'm trying to slow down a little bit. I don't feel the like, oh my God, I have to be with somebody. I think I feel a little more settled in my own skin more than I ever have that I'm like, okay, to be taking things slow and taking my time on things rather than like the breakneck speed that I normally operate at, which has served me pretty well in business, not so much in relationships. I am trying to figure out, is it like, is it only amazing when it's like that can't stop thinking about this person over the top crazy love or is it better to pace yourself and go with somebody? I don't know. What's right for you? You know, my best advice is to just pay really close attention to what's going on and do yourself a favor of having those hard, hard conversations sooner than later. Something that has brought me comfort because I definitely have gone into a little bit of the like, oh my God, is this person the one? What's going to happen? I've always come back to, no matter what happens, I still have me. I'm not going to lose me. I'm going to be okay. And I think you're such an amazing lesson of that, of life not only goes on and moves on, but it can be even more beautiful than it was before. Thank you. I appreciate that. I do. If you could do anything over business, relationship, a whole decade, whatever it is, what would you have done differently, if anything? Gosh. You could probably make the argument that like 
if I could change my son having to have gone through what he went through, but I wouldn't change that. That made him a pretty spectacular human. I don't look at the things that didn't go well or the things that seemed like they were bad at the times, which were bad at the time. I don't view them as mistakes that I regret. So it's hard to say what I would do over. I think I would have done more work on myself sooner in my life because I've learned a lot about myself, certainly in this season and in other seasons, but I just kind of didn't have time to slow down and, and, and do all of that. And I still feel that jumpiness of like, next thing, next thing, next thing. And I thrive in that, but learning to take a step back. Like even tonight, I do these like reflection circles with my best friend who hosts them. And I've embraced like my spiritual life a lot more in the last few years and certainly in the last few months. I don't always love going to circle because it's vulnerable and it's long and you're sitting there for a while and you can get really heavy. And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> then when I go and do it, I know it's so good for my soul. I feel so much better. So it's just like that inner resistance that I have. And I think that is a practice and something that I'm now practicing more than ever. So I, I, I wish I realized the importance of taking better care of myself spiritually. There's a lot of conversation about self-care and all of that. And I've always been a very big self-care junkie, like massages forever, facials forever. I've done so much of, but I didn't do a lot of like spiritual growth. It's just such a beautiful way to live. I wish I had had that kind of sooner. But then I also go back to like, this is where I'm supposed to be now. I will say something kind of more funny is that I started working with a somatic therapist, which is kind of like a body worker. Like, what do you have stored in your body? And he had told me that I have a lot of grief stored in my throat and that I should take singing lessons. And I was like, oh my God, if I could have done anything with my life, it would have been to be a famous country singer because I love singing so much, but I just don't have a well, I, up until now, I haven't felt like I had a good voice. But my dream, my literal having dreams at night about being on stage singing. And then I'm like, shit, I can't sing. Um, and so, well, I, anyways, the somatic therapist was like, you should take singing lessons because it's really good for you. Because, you know, breath work, as everybody is like discovering now, is so good for you. And he's like, for you to sing, you'll get a lot of that like move that, the breath through your body and singing is such a great way to do that. And also talking about how I really feel through music, which I, I have always known to be true, but he just crystallized that for me. So I wish I had taken singing lessons earlier. That's one thing I wish I had done in my life. Good for you. I mean, I loved your answer of focusing on spirituality because that totally is the first thing to go. You know, we focus yeah. even on our physical health therapy. Great. Amazing. But like the spiritual part of it, who am I? What is this world? Questioning the bigger picture, I think, is the first thing to go that people don't talk as much about. And it's yeah. interesting how it can show up in so many ways. Like that singing for you can be a very much part of your spiritual fulfillment. Like that's so cool. He said that to me. I was like, I'm sorry. How do you know that about me? And he, <laughs> he did. He, the first time I'd met him, nobody really knows that about me. I don't talk about I mean, it's not something I'm talking about it only in this context, but... I almost fell off my chair like, holy shit. And yeah, for nothing else, if I just learn how to sing and feel better about singing, of course, he's like, we're going to get you on stage. And I was like, well, say not. But you're like, I don't know. Imagine. Like, okay, I'm going to sing a song now. Allie, I kind of love that. I think your second life is a country singer. Maybe that's what we're putting out in the universe. In like a year, you're going to come back and be like, yeah, I have a whole album. I got a tour going. And you can say, we, we talked about it first here. 
I knew her when, back when she was just an entrepreneur. That would, well, that would be amazing. Well, that's so cool, though. I love that you are finding the ways that are fulfilling that doesn't have anything to do with the career path and the monetary value. Since you talk in your book about losing yourself, how did you find yourself again? It really was a, a reinvention. And I think what stands out to me most is how much I softened after the first big, as I like to call it, like the dark night of the soul when my, I felt like my world was falling apart and I was so down and everything was changing and different. And it was just such a hard time. And I think I felt such an internal shift in myself where I had softened a lot, where I'd been, you know, kind of hard in a lot of ways because I was unhappy, because I was unfulfilled. And when I went through what was really one of the hardest times of my life, I, as a result, like just became a, a better version of myself. That growth and expansion, it was kind of what brought me back and being able to reinvent myself. A quote that I always read, it always pops up on Instagram that like, how closely anxiety and excitement are to each other. What feels like anxiety, which is like fear and you're scared and nervous about something is so similar to the feeling of like, oh, I'm excited about what's next. Not scared about it, just excited. And I remember that shift starting to happen for me when I was no longer living in the fear, but living in the excitement of what can be, which I experienced them then on some level. And I've experienced now in the last month or so too. It doesn't, I don't think the learning ever stops. And I feel like recognizing that shit's going to fall apart and, and then you can still rebuild at any phase at any time. I think it's how we get back to, oh yeah, I'm going to be okay. Another reinvention, another evolution of myself. I love that so much. I also, I'm reminded of the, if you've seen the quote also, that's like, we think of heartbreak as this really negative thing, but your heart has to break so many times before it gets burst open. You get to look at every heartbreak as, yes, this hurts, but this is one step closer to that heart burst open. And I think that's so, yeah. so beautiful. Such a gorgeous note to end on. I love that, Allie. We're going to wrap up with some rapid fire question. First one, okay. the best advice you've ever received. Beginner mindset, being really open to learning, never stop learning. That's beautiful. Your go-to productivity hack. I get asked this question a lot and I never really have a great answer for it. Um, I, I wish there was, and maybe there is. So maybe somebody can tell me if there's a more high-tech application of some sort, but like everything's on my calendar. Like I live and die by my calendar. My assistant and I work very closely on that and everything has to be very like drive times in my calendar meditation is in my calendar like everything is in my calendar otherwise it doesn't happen so I think that's the thing that like it really keeps me most productive an organized calendar gets me excited I, you are you into like the color coding and all that it's lots of color coding yeah I love it a gorgeous organized color coded calendar is my porn yeah. I love it so much that's yeah. the best yeah okay, last question a book that changed your life obviously besides your own so hard of so many good books that I love it's like a toss-up between Untethered Soul, my Michael Singer is one of my favorites, and I've read it so many times because I love it so much that I feel like it's life-changing. I also really love Jen Sincerio's You're a Badass. I think that's a really great book. Oh, but you know what? You know what is so good that I also listen to so many times? Do you know Brianna Wiest? Do you yes. Her? I think she, she might be at the top of the heap for me. She's got a book called 101 Essays of like things that'll change your life, something like that. I mean, such a good book woman is like out of this world. I feel like she's talking to me. 
So I'm a big fan of hers. And I would say like another, I don't know if you're familiar with Erwin McManus. If you live in LA, he runs a church called Mosaic. And I recently discovered him and I'm lucky enough to hear him talk live most Sundays. And I really relish that time. And he's got a book called Mind Shift, which is also a short, quick, easy read. So that's another one. Truly, I have a, a huge repertoire of books that I I'm such a reader. You're my kind of girl. I love when people are like, I can't give you one. Here's a long list. Like, that's my yeah. favorite answer. Well, there's so many good ones. Like Gabby Bernstein's Super Attractor is such a good book too. So good. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot. For me, it's like discovering a good book is like, it's so nourishing. And you're like, oh, I can't get enough of this. It does. You are like wrapped up in it. Like when it's a really good book. I, I love it. All of those are such great names. I'm going to order the ones that I haven't read yet right now. Okay. They sound so great. Allie, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you for your vulnerability for helping other people feel heard and seen in their experiences. Where can everybody find you, your book, all your businesses? Shout out everything you have going on. I know it's another long list. Probably my website, which is just AllieWeb.com and my Instagram, which is also just AllieWeb. That's kind of everything lives in those two places. Thank you so much, Allie. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Every Girl Podcast on Instagram or theeverygirlpodcast.com. Talk to you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.